This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Steve Williamson and is part 10 of Revealing the Heart of God, A Journey Through the Minor Prophets. Good morning, Church of the Resurrection. It's good to be back with you. Our family's been on vacation the last couple weeks, and it's great to be here with you. And I, I can't ignore that I probably should also welcome back our youth group back from their dunes trip. Awesome. And that actually uh, brings to mind for me uh, something I've heard said, and that is that when the worship pastor is given the pulpit for the first time, it's kind of like when a teenager is given the car for the first time by his parents. And he has two responsibilities. The first one is bring it back in a reasonable amount of time. And then the second one is try to bring it back in one piece. And I'll try to do both those things for you to this, this morning. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, remind us this morning of that word from the prophet Zechariah, that it is not by might nor by strength, but by your spirit that we find the help we need. We ask for that same spirit this morning to speak through us, to us through your word. And we pray this in the powerful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please be seated? Um, If you don't have a Bible, I think you're going to need one this morning. Any form of a Bible will do. If you don't have anything, we've got them in the back. Loaners, you can take through the service. Um, I won't take it personally that they gave the rookie preacher the minor prophet who's 14 chapters long, but one of the results of that reality is we're going to have to do a little bouncing around. So, you're probably going to want to have a Bible in front of you this morning. In my younger days, I was a rather serious high school runner. And my coach, Coach Baldwin, was a very good and very intense track and field coach. Our team was especially good at the 4 by 800 meter relay, and Coach inspired us with visions of winning the state track meet. And those visions became the fuel that got us through his crazy and intense workouts. And I remember this one grueling workout on a hot afternoon. And right when we thought maybe we had just finished the last set, coach yells out, let's do one more. And one of my teammates right at that moment, John, just burst out, coach, I can't take it anymore. I quit. And he walked towards the steps and off the track. And Coach Baldwin met with John that week and tried to encourage him to come back, to keep working, reminding him of the potential of our team to do something really special. That group of guys did go on to the state track meet, and to this day, I have a picture of us standing on the awards uh, podium with our medals around us. But John's not in the picture, because John quit the team that day, and he never came back. There are times in our lives when we feel like giving up, when we feel like quitting on something. Maybe you feel like giving up on something right now. A marriage, a difficult or wayward child, a challenging relationship, your job, your church. Maybe you even feel like giving up on God himself. The prophet Zechariah reminds me of my track coach, He brings the people of Judah an inspiring and beautiful vision 
of God's great rebuilding project. He invites the people of Judah to take part in God's plan. And he challenges them to keep working, not to give up. Or as he likes to put it, let your hands be strong. So Zechariah is prophesying to the people of Judah beginning in about the year 520 BC. And his main message is one of encouragement for the people to finish the task of rebuilding the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem after their return from exile in Babylon. And this morning, as we explore this prophet together, I offer you this three-part breakdown of Zechariah's message. First, God is building something beautiful. God is building something beautiful. Second, you're a part of the project. You are a part of the project. And third, therefore, let your hands be strong. God is building something beautiful. You're a part of the project. Let your hands be strong. The Jewish people who returned from exile in Babylon returned poor and powerless. They were still under the rule of the current superpower, Persia, and the surrounding people groups did not want to see the temple or the city restored, and they were both a military and political threat. At the time of Zechariah, work had been stalled for over 15 years since the laying of the foundation of the temple, and God's people were discouraged and losing motivation. And so, God sends Zechariah to challenge them and to motivate them. And Zechariah seeks to motivate the people of Judah by sharing a beautiful vision of what God is building. He is building something that is better than what they could have ever asked for or imagined. So through the first several chapters of Zechariah, he relays a series of incredible visions of what God is going to do in and through Jerusalem and the temple. And each of these visions is cloaked with this rich prophetic language as Zechariah explains how God plans to cleanse the temple, to cleanse the people, and to rem remove sin and injustice. These are all, each, each eight of them are unbelievable, beautiful, rich visions, and they probably all deserve their own sermon. And so I look forward to somebody else preaching those sermons someday. But this morning, I actually want to draw your attention to chapter 8 that you heard read this morning. It's the culmination, the crescendo of all these visions. And here Zechariah gives perhaps his fullest and clearest picture of what God is building. If you would, turn with me to chapter 8, starting in verse 3 which you can find on page 796 in the church Bibles. Chapter 8, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls, 
plain in its streets. In this beautiful picture of a restored Jerusalem, God is promising his presence. First, we see this in verse 3, where he says, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. This promise of God's presence specifically refers to the temple, which had incredible significance for God's people. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright explains it like this. Jerusalem and the temple itself are not just a convenient gathering point. They are the place of promise, the place of presence, the place out of all the earth where the living God has chosen to live. The 70-year exile was actually considered to continue until the temple was rebuilt. Though the Jews had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem, their return to God was not yet complete. Rebuilding the temple meant reestablishing the fullness of God's presence among his people. But look what God's presence brings, because God keeps going. As I've studied Zechariah for the last couple months, uh, verses 4 and 5 of this chapter have become two of my favorites just for their simple domestic beauty. Grandma and grandpa are sitting on the park bench with canes in hand. The grandkids are running by, kicking the soccer ball through the streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at peace. After years of hardship, this would have been one of the deep desires of the people in Zechariah's generation. And the picture God paints here through Zechariah still connects with the desires of a reader today. I find it a great encouragement that God can paint a picture of the simple desire we all have for peace and security. And that's what God's presence can bring. And what a powerful and grandiose vision this is for a people that currently reside in a broken down city with no temple built, only a foundation. And they're struggling with threats of attack and starvation. And they're sitting on the sideline of world significance as a small province under the control of a much stronger nation. But Zechariah wants to motivate God's people. He wants them to know that God is building something beautiful, and it all starts with the temple. So the promises here in chapter 8 speak directly to the needs of Zechariah's generation. But later in the book of Zechariah, God goes further, and he promises something even greater. The second half of Zechariah, which is almost like its own separate book, takes on a more apocalyptic tone, not unlike the book of Revelation. And it looks to the final and complete fulfillment of all God's promises, but not before many more hardships. And central to all these promises is this figure, this person whom the gospel writers claim as a picture of Jesus himself. And they connect multiple vivid images from Zechariah to Jesus especially his passion and his suffering and his death. Chapter 9 talks about the humble king, 
arriving on a donkey on Palm Sunday. Chapter 11 refers to the one betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, just as Jesus was before his death. And if you would, turn with me to another reference in chapter 12, starting in verse 10. You can find that on page 799 in the church Bibles. Chapter 12, verse 10. God says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. The Apostle John, in his account of Jesus being pierced in his side on the cross, quotes this passage directly, saying that these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. They will look on him whom they have pierced. In Jesus, God offers us his own son all the way to the cross. And then what happens? The apostle John says, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side and blood and water flowed out. So now look back at Zechariah there as he continues in this same passage, down just a little further in the first verse of chapter 13. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. God offers us, in the person of Jesus, out of his pierced side, a fountain of life. Jesus defeated sin and even death itself. And God promises us his presence. And that promise is an eternal promise. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, we have access to the eternal fountain of life. Jesus said this himself earlier in the Gospel of John when he said, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. God's building something beautiful and eternal. And in Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life that we might see all God's promises come to fruition. Do you ever lose hope that God can build something beautiful out of your life? Do you ever lose hope that God is building something beautiful in our generation? Do you ever lose hope that God can build something beautiful out of this world, out of all this disease, injustice, poverty, and pain? Do you turn on CNN or Fox News only to find yourself in despair, that the world is broken and perhaps irreparable? But God is so much bigger than the smallness of our own faith. Zechariah reminds us that God is building something beautiful. Let your faith be expanded by the beautiful vision of God's great rebuilding project. Let your faith be nourished by the fountain of living water available to you in Jesus. God is building something beautiful and he will see it to completion.
Over the past two years, my wife completed a graduate program in piano performance. And her whole degree culminated in a graduate solo piano recital. Some of you in the room were here uh, at that recital. And it was, in my humble and unbiased opinion, absolutely breathtaking. Um, but what no one but the Williamsons were there for were the countless hours of practicing that happened in our house for the last two years. I kid you not, my children would lie on the floors, play, lie on the floor playing Legos, humming along to obscure passages of Schubert and Poulenc and Prokofiev because they had these pieces memorized. They'd heard them so many times. And as Jana wrestled with tricky sections of her pieces for months, it was the picture of that recital and the beautiful gift it would be to those who heard it that motivated her to do the real and challenging work of preparation. God is building something beautiful, and that picture should motivate us and inspire us. Inspire us for what? Well, it gets better because you're a part of the project. God is building something beautiful, and he has given each of us real and challenging work as a part of it. If you would, turn back uh, with me to chapter 8. After that opening section we were just reading, where we see God promising his, his presence to the people of Judah, look what comes next in verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Here God makes a direct link between his promises and the work that he has given to this generation. It's all connected. Finish the temple and here's what comes next. So much promise for what would come after the rebuilding of the temple. And some of those promises would be fulfilled in their own generation. They would see the temple rebuilt when God compelled Darius, the king of Persia, to decree that the surrounding nations should not only end their efforts to stop the rebuilding of the temple and of Jerusalem, but that they should actually assist in its completion. And Zechariah's generation would also see more peace within Jerusalem. But their work was also connected to something greater that God was doing, something even more beautiful, and something they would not fully understand or see in their own lifetimes. This generation could not see that God's presence would come incarnationally to this very temple that this was the temple that their Messiah, Jesus, would visit in the flesh, and that by his death and resurrection, the curtain of this temple would be torn, giving all people direct access to God's presence. Also, if you would, just look at the end of this section in chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Zechariah's generation could not see as we now can that this is a picture of almost exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell first upon the apostles and then on the peoples of every nation and language because God's Spirit was on the apostles. God is building something beautiful and you are a part of the project. And he has meaningful work for us here today in Wheaton. And what might the fruit of our work be in this generation? Might we see our neighbors or our relatives come to a confession of faith in Jesus? Might we see victories in the battle for more protection for those who are most vulnerable and the unborn? Might we see more church plants go out, taking a revival of word and sacrament to more communities? But also, we also have to accept that some of the fruits of our labor we will not see in our own lifetime. But I think this might actually be a word of hope for some. For those who bear burdens that will likely not change in this lifetime. Those who live under an oppressive government or regime. Those with a child who has severe disabilities. Those in difficult marriages or dealing with illness or disease. But we must remember that God is building something beautiful into eternity. And all these things shall one day be restored. And in the meantime, he has given us real work to do. And sometimes we won't know how it is connected or how God will use our work in the generations to come or on into eternity. But perhaps someday, when you finally make it to heaven, maybe there'll be someone who walks up to you and says, Hi, my name's Sally, and I've been, I've been looking forward to meeting you just so I could say thank you. And you say, Sally, I think you have me confused with someone else. We've never met. But Sally says, Oh, I know we've never met, but your daughter, who you raised up in the Lord, she went off to college and she led her friend to Jesus. And that friend was my grandmother. I'm here today because of you. God is building something beautiful. And you're a part of the project. What God is doing always precedes what we do. What we're called to do flows out of what God is doing. So therefore... Let your hands be strong. So what does Zechariah mean in chapter 8 by that phrase, let your hands be strong? The story that came to mind for me was one about my daughter, Olivia, who was a kindergartner this last year, and she discovered the wonders of something called recess and all the amazing activity that happens at recess. But in order to fully participate in recess, one must master every aspect of the playground. 
And so for the first time, Livia encountered the monkey bars. And the first time Livy came home after trying the monkey bars, she had these horrible, painful blisters on her hands. The skin was just kind of ripped open. And so we cleaned her up and we bandaged her hands and put her to bed. And we thought, that's probably the end of the monkey bars. But Livy was determined to conquer the monkey bars. And she got right back on. So what happened? Did the blisters return? No. Instead, these calluses started forming on her hands. She got stronger and she mastered the monkey bars. And now she's well on her way to an illustrious gymnastics career. <laughs> I think that's a bit of what Zechariah is saying here. He's saying, keep working. The more you work, the stronger you will get. And the stronger you get, the more you can participate in what God is doing. God is looking for people with strong hands. And in Zechariah's day, the work of their hands was to pick up those stones and build that temple. What's the work in our day? When Jana and I arrived at Res 18 years ago, the church was recovering from an incredibly difficult season. And Father Stewart told us that we would rebuild the church on prayer and fasting. That was the vision for how we would strengthen our hands. And now I look back and I marvel at what God has done. That small, hurting church has become a beautiful cathedral. God planted us in a building well beyond our own financial capacity. We have already seen six church plants go out from this church, and we're a part of a revival and word and sacrament in a diocese that stretches out across the Midwest and has already seen 20 church plants go out. What more might God do in our own generation? What might he do in the generations to come? And how might you be a part of that project? Someday, all of God's promises will be fulfilled. And those of us who have claimed Jesus as Lord and have received from that fountain of life that he offers us, we will find ourselves in eternity with him. And then we will see fully the beautiful thing that God has been building. And when I get to meet Jesus, I hope I get to look at those hands, those strong hands pierced through for me. And then I hope, just maybe, that I get to show him my hands. And I'm guessing there won't be holes in them. But I hope there's some calluses that I've built up. And I hope he can say, you were a part of the project. You kept your hands strong. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. 
As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.